I didn't just call you. I called a whole bunch of churches and I called a whole bunch of places. You all were the only ones that came. What did I do? Yeah. I don't see what's so funny. <laughs> uh, no, it's, you know what? That's a good name for today, and you'll see why here in just a minute. Grab a Bible and turn open to Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 12. I, uh, I had a book, just to address our title here. I had a book by Charles Spurgeon called Lectures to My Students. Uh, I like Charles Spurgeon a lot, and uh, so this book, Lectures to My Students, I've, I've read it several times through, and he always talked about the title of your sermon. He said, your title has one job to catch attention. Like, other than that, it, it has no other job. It is supposed to catch someone's attention, and that is all. And so that is the, that's the point of today. Uh, Sue, so what? Now it's in your head? Right, well, you're welcome. So, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, grab a Bible, Genesis chapter 6. There was a pastor um, who was bivocational. I have a heart for bivocational pastors because I recognize, I, I made a mistake for the first couple of years of being a pastor. I said that I was a part-time pastor, and then I realized no such thing as a part-time pastor. It doesn't work that way. And so now I just insist that I'm a bivocational pastor, but there's no part-time in it. This part-time pastor, he was working his job and, and uh, pastoring the church, and he stopped by the church one afternoon, and he was going to pick up some supplies or whatever, and he was in the church office, and the phone rang. And so he answered the church phone, and he said, you know, the answer for the church. And the woman on the other side said that uh, she was looking for somebody that would come out and help her family that they were struggling and they were fighting and everything was just a mess and they just wanted somebody that would come out and help them. And so without knowing much more information than that, the pastor agreed and took down their address and a contact number and he called his wife and said, I'm going to be late. I'm going to this person's house to go help. And so he drove out to their house and when he got to their house, he found out that the um, the wife and the husband had been fighting, that the husband was looking at leaving for another woman. They had a son, and he was suicidal. And he had prayed the whole way there. He said, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm going to say to this family when I get to this house. And so he'd been praying that, and, and he got there, and they told him the situation. And he thought, well, I, I guess I can only tell them the one thing I know, which is that Christ could save them. And so he shared the gospel with them that we're all sinners and that Christ had died for our sins and that he was buried in a tomb and three days later he rose again and he offers us new life and if we'll put our faith in him then he saves us and he gives us new life and they began to question him for over an hour and he answered all of their questions and the end of that session with that family was that all three mom dad and son all gave their hearts to the Lord Jesus and they were saved right in that moment and the pastor said you need to be baptized that's the next step for you. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. You need to be baptized. By the way, I said this a few weeks ago. No extra charge for this one. Some of you still waiting. I really don't know what you're waiting for, but there's the pool right there. We can do it. Anyways, so that's, a, that's just a little note in there. Uh, so he said, you need to be baptized. And the, the family, all three, came to church that Sunday. And the pastor pulled all three of them into the pool at the same time. And he was giving testimony for them of what the Lord had done in their lives. And he was telling the story that I just told you to his church. And he stopped about midway through and he said, you know, I, I forgot to ask you all. I, and I just want to know what made you call us? Like, I'm a bivocational pastor. There's hardly ever. I mean, was it just the Lord's providence that, that you happened to call our church at the right time when I'd stopped by to pick some things up? And he said the, the woman immediately chimed in and she said, 
I didn't just call you. I called a whole bunch of churches and I called a whole bunch of places. You all were the only ones that came. Yeah. Today, I'm going to show you something in the scriptures. I'm going to show you that this is what we have with Noah. We're going to be introduced to a new character. If you've been coming with us through Genesis, we have a new character. We have Noah that gets introduced today. And what I want to show you from Noah is it's exactly that. that God, it's not that God stopped calling. And it's not that the need of the world was, was any less. The need of the world was growing. And it was a big need. It's just that it was only Noah who answered the call. Look with me. It's Genesis chapter 6. And we'll start in verse number 1. Are you there? All right, Genesis 6 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and, the daughter, and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came, and came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man with uh, man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer about His Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't flippantly turn to You, but we reverently turn to You and recognize the gift that You have given us, even right now, to enter into Your throne room and to speak with You and ask You to help us Father, the privilege of that alone is beyond our understanding. And yet here we stand in your presence. With you, our great God, inclining your ear to us. And so for just a moment, we want to be in awe of you and say, thank you, God, that you would hear us. And Father, this is our request right now. Could we please hear from you? Father, would you speak to us through your word? Would you speak to me through your word? Father, I am a no one who has nothing to teach. I have everything to learn from you. And I don't deserve to be here. You're gracious and you're good and you're merciful to all of us. Would you please reveal your word to us right now that we might understand more of you and who you are and how great you are. Father, we ask for this revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me, it's Genesis chapter 6 and it's verse 1 and this is not a passage without controversy. And I know, 
that I'm going to say some things right now, and some of you already don't agree with me, and some of you are going to agree with me even less after I'm done, and that's okay. Can I, can I preface this one thing? We, we've got this, this story right here. We've got this account, right? Verse 1, it came to pass when, the, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for, the, for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, there's two pretty different schools of thought on that passage. And I know some of you in the room, and I know where you stand, and I know that I'm going to say something in just a moment that is against what you agree with. Here's what I'm going to ask. Could we, could we recognize that, number one, the point that we will get to at the end will be the same? Okay? The, 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 the point that God is getting across to us is going to be the same. And I want to say something else to you. We don't have to be like other churches and other believers who have fought over nominal things and lost friendships over nominal things. If you disagree with me this morning, that's okay. Disagree with me in love and I'll disagree with you in love and we don't have to fight over it. Can we agree to that? That's a pretty good thing, right? Okay, now, here's the thought. Here's one school of thought and it is not what I believe, but I just need to tell you so that you know what I'm talking about. Some believe that the sons of God Sons of God who came down to the daughters of, of men, that those sons of God, that that term means angels. And they're not totally wrong. When you go into the book of Job, you'll see the sons of God. And those terms, when referencing that term, that sons of God, sons of Elohim, is the exact same wording in the Hebrew in Job as it is in Genesis. And some people believe that that means that angels came down from heaven and that they procreated, they got married to women, and they procreated with women, and they had offspring, they had children, and their children, because they were angelic, or at this point demonic, because now they've, they've fallen, that their offspring were giants, and that that's what this passage in Genesis chapter 6 is teaching, that angels left their abode, left their place in heaven, came down, married women, had children with those women, and the offspring were giants. That's one school of thought. Now, I am not going to spend my morning demolishing a school of thought that I'm going to be real clear with you. Are you ready for this? Maybe I'm wrong and maybe the Lord allowed that to happen. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand up here and spend a whole lot of time arguing something that I don't agree with. I'm going to be very brief and say that I don't agree with that for several reasons. But the number one reason I don't agree with it is because I believe it gives you more questions than it gives you answers. Did you hear what I said? The number one reason I disagree with it is because it leaves me with more questions than it leaves me with answers. If angels came down and mingled with women and married women, then I have to ask the question, how come angels and people are allowed to get married and, and actually physically have offspring, but we can't do that with any other species? Horses make horses, dogs make dogs, cat make, cats make cats, right? You can, even if a dog gets a hold of a cat and he's not fixed, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they'll do that. I got a Labrador, he'll get you if you're not watching, you got to swat him, okay? Even if he got the cat, he can't make cat dog. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying though, right? We don't see that in any other species. How come it's a... There are angels that have six wings up their backside. How come, how come the guys were giants and they didn't come out with wings? How come they didn't come out covered in eyes? There's angels that are covered in eyes. How come these angels were able to take on the form of man? And we're specifically told, Jesus tells us that when one day we're going to be in the kingdom, we're going to be in heaven, and that we're going to be like the angels who are not given in marriage. Okay? So these angels are coming down, and if they, if they did marry, I'm left with a whole bunch of questions. I'm also left with the question of, did they stop? 
Like, why, why would they stop? Are angels still marrying women? Do you, do you understand my, my, my questions? I'm not demolishing a theory. If you believe it, that's fine. I'm telling you these are the reasons I don't believe it because I, I read it and I go, if that's what, it, if that's what happens, then, then what about all these other questions I'm, I'm left with? Now let me go to the other side and tell you from the other side where I stand. And I'm going to first start out by why I stand there. And if you'll stick with me, I think it'll make sense. Remember with me that we have Genesis 1. In the beginning, God creates the world, right? We remember that. And then Genesis chapter 3, we have a pretty big thing that happens. The fall of man, right? So we're, we're looking at the story as a whole. God creates the world. He creates man, puts man in the garden. Man sins. And in Genesis chapter 4 now, I'm skipping ahead to the fourth chapter. And in the fourth chapter, we have the story of two sons, Cain and Abel. You with me? Cain kills Abel, right? Abel's out of the way. Now, God had promised the woman that she was going to have a seed that would crush the head of the serpent, and she probably thought that was Cain. When, when, they, when they were first born, there's Cain. God gave me a man, right? Cain kills Abel. Abel's out of the way. And Genesis chapter 4 ends with Cain and his whole line. Remember that? We get Cain had children, and he built a city. He named the city after his son, Enoch, and people were going to the city. And we went like, what, six generations or whatever it was down through Cain. And we ended the story of Cain, Genesis chapter 4. You ended, that's not a four, that's just me saying Cain. Okay, that's, I do know how to count, but you get what I'm saying. So Cain, we ended that story in Genesis 4 with a guy named Lamech. And remember, Lamech was saying, hey, if my great, 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 great grandfather Cain, if he would be avenged sevenfold because of, of his bro- killing his brother, then Lamech said, I've killed a man. And if anybody does anything to me, there'll be a, it'll be avenged 77 fold. And he quoted his great, 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 great grandfather Cain. So what we're seeing is this line, this wicked line of people came from Cain. And they were in a city called Enoch. But then, remember, Abel, who had been taken, God gave another son. Remember that? Genesis chapter 4 literally ends with, but God gave another son to Adam and Eve. His name was what? You say it out loud. What was his name? Seth. And after Seth, he had a son named Enosh. And after Enosh was born, the Bible clearly tells us what? About Cain's line, wicked. With me? Seth, Enosh, and when Enosh was born, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Remember that? And then we got down through the line of Seth. You like my down through the line? We got down through the line of Seth. And who did we end up with? We ended up with people like Methuselah. And we ended up with Noah in the line of Seth. That's where, that's where we've come in the story. And so when we get to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1, and we read that the sons of God were marrying the daughters of women, I'm telling you that my belief is that the sons of God were the godly line that came from Seth. That's what makes sense to the story. The story so far, God has given us a picture of two groups of people. Seth's line, they were a good line. Men are calling on the name of the Lord. People are being saved. And then we had Cain's line, a wicked line. And here's what happened. They began, now this is the point that we will all agree with. When they began to mingle, the wicked was taking over the good. We can all agree to that. As a matter of fact, the tenor of this whole thing that we just read was what? Men became corrupted. God made a perfect world, and whether you want to believe this is angels that came down with women, I won't fight with you on that. I'm not going to fall on my sword over that one. If you believe that angels came down and mixed with women, fine. You still end up in the same place I do. The line is corrupted. 
Mankind is corrupt and they are wicked and they're doing wicked things. We get to the end and we read in verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The tenor of this scripture is that man had become completely corrupted. And now I want to tell you this. That's how it always works with sin. Do you think when the sons of God are mingling with the daughters of men, do you think that they, do you think this was like an instantaneous, like were they thinking, oh, this is going to ruin everything, and the sons of God, they marry daughters of women, and then boom, God's going to destroy it all? Just like every other passage in Genesis, we have a large amount of time that starts elapsing in just a few verses. The sons of God are marrying the daughters of, of man, and the line is becoming corrupt over time. They're having children, and they're having children, and here's what ha what's happening. The whole world is slowly but surely becoming more corrupt, and more corrupt, and more corrupt, and more corrupt. And it's just getting worse, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. That is how sin always works. There's a story of a, of a nun in France in the early 1800s. And she went door to door and she was knocking on the doors of, the, of her town there in France and she was asking for money for the poor. She was taking a collection for the poor and knocking on the doors and asking people for money. And she got to this one man's house and he was known as a free thinker. And she knocked on his door and he offered her a thousand francs if she would sit down and have a glass of wine with him. And she got so bothered by that idea, she didn't answer. And she went home and she thought about it. And she thought, well, we could buy a lot of bread for a thousand francs. So she went back to his house and she knocked on the door and she asked him if the offer was any good. And he said yes. And so he gladly sat down and poured her a glass of wine. And she grabbed it as quick as she could and she downed the whole glass. And he smirked and he paid her the thousand francs. And as the story goes, she put her glass out and said, now I have another for half the price. That's sin. The first time, it's tough. The first time, it's difficult. The first time, it convicts. But then it's, it's, it's a little easier. And then it's a little easier. And before you know it, sin is corrupting and corrupting and corrupting. And we're, it's not that something is getting better. We, we seem to think in our culture that the more sin is happening, like somehow we're becoming more enlightened to it. Or we're, I have a, a friend of mine whose son is being promiscuous. And they've asked me to go and talk with their son. Would I go and talk with their son? And I said, well, if you want me to talk with him, I will. But somebody's going to have to tell me what's going on if you want me to go talk with him. And so they told me the things that were going on. And this is what the, the main argument from his standpoint that they want me to go deal with. I haven't got to deal with it yet. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated. But uh, the, the main thing that they want me to deal with is that their son truly believes that because it's 2020, there's nothing wrong with being promiscuous with his girlfriend. That we're pa he literally told his parents, we're past that. Like we're, you know, that might have been the way you guys used to believe, but, but it's not that way anymore. We're, we're past that. Friends, listen, God didn't change. God's word didn't change. God remained the same. It's that we, mankind, become more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt. And that's why we're seeing today, that's why we're seeing this openness of sin. We're seeing this, we're seeing this, it's not just open, it's in your face. I mean, every, if you're not sinning, then somehow, somehow, it's not even that if you're not sinning, you're not cool. 
No, no, it's even further than that. If you don't agree with the sin today, you're a hater. You're, they love to use these, these giant words that are supposed to scare us. They're, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist. And the sad part is that, that Christians are just one by one, we're just folding and collapsing to it and agreeing. And what I'm telling you is this, in Noah's day, the line was becoming corrupted. The world was becoming more and more and more corrupt until it gets to the point that God says it's completely corrupt. Everything is corrupt. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what's happening today. It's just becoming more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt. It's just the more corruption that happens, the, the, more, the more that goes on, the more that, we, the more that we just agree. Look at what it says here. Now, again, I told you. I don't agree with the stance of, of angels and people, right? Now, the stance of angels and people marrying, they think that the offspring are giants. If I read that correctly, what it actually says is it's a reference of time. Notice this, right? Let's get to this giants portion in verse 2. or uh, I'm sorry, verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Okay? So if I'm reading that correctly, that means that there were already giants in the land. There were giants there. It's a reference of time. It would be like me saying in Kentucky, when Trump was president, we were able for a short time to get rid of all the abortion clinics and the Planned Parenthood clinics except one. Now that really happened. Now Trump didn't do that. I was just using Trump as a reference of time. Do you get what I'm saying? Like when Trump was president, we had a time when this happened. So what we have here is a reference of time. There's, there's sons of God, I believe, line of Seth, line of Cain. They're marrying each other. When was this happening? When there's giants in the land. By the way, it says there were giants in the land in those days. It's, it seems like they're already there. Okay, so giants in the land in those days. But check this out. That's not the point that I want to get to. I just want to make sure I touched on that. Look here. When the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Now listen, those were the mighty men who were of old. Men, by the way, not half-breeds, not, not monstrosities. They were men, mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Did you catch that? Whether, well, again, let's get off the topic for, for a second. Just get it out of your mind. Whether you believe in the angels and, and people thing or whether you're with men you believe in, and you believe it was Seth and Cain. Did you catch this? The line is becoming corrupt. People are becoming corrupt and they're the men of renown. They're the people who are in power. They're the, they're the wealthy people. They're the ones calling the shots. They're the ones who are in, in power. Does anybody see a, lot, a connection to today? Am I the only one who sees a connection to what we have going on right now? Goodness, we vote. you know what we were told when we were voting? We're told to go vote. And what do we when you say, well, I don't really like that candidate, and I definitely don't like that candidate. You know what we're told? To vote for the lesser of two evils. The men of renown, they're corrupt. The corrupted line are the people that everyone's looking up to and saying, hey, well, instead of looking to God, instead of going back to Adam, instead of going back to sacrifice or to prayer, no, 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 who are they, who's renowned? The people who were corrupt. And we have today, we, we piggyback laws. We'll vote in a bad law that we don't want so long as we can piggyback in a good law that we do want. I'm right about that. We have, with the men of renown are corrupt, our whole, our whole system of government is corrupt. And we, we all know that it's corrupt. I mean, goodness, if you cross one person, Hillary Clinton, <clears throat> you'll get a bullet in the back of your head. What'd I say? What? What'd I say? I'm, I'm right about that. 
Listen, we have people that we have people that are are. I'm, I know y'all. Some of y'all are like, I can't believe he said it, but I'm gonna say other stuff too. Listen to me. There are there's corruption in our power system, and we just what do we do on the other side? Well, it's the way it is. Well, it's the way it is. Well, I don't, you know, I don't like it either. And then what do we do? Even more so, we we just try to find we try to find something. We try to find something good to say and say, well, but at least they did. At least they got this bill or at least we got this passed or at least we did. Friends, listen, let me give this. I don't want to sound like the guy with the sandwich board on the, on the side of the road. But Jesus said, if you can look at the sky and tell that it's red, then you're a hypocrite. If you can't look at the signs and know what's coming. What I'm trying to tell you is this. If I've not been clear, let me make my point very clear. Mankind is becoming more and more corrupt and we ought to be able to recognize the end is coming. Do you, do you understand that? Like, am I being clear about that? The, the corruption is there, and when the corruption keeps happening, and more corruption, and more corruption, and more corruption, God's only going to take it for so long. Look, look at what happens next. First, we have man who is completely corrupt, so corrupt that even the men of renown are corrupt. Now look at this. Back up to verse 3 for just a moment, because I want to show you about God. So we have mankind is totally corrupt, but in verse 3, look at this. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. Are you catching this? The line, of, the line is corrupt. I believe the line of Seth, the godly line that men were calling on the name of the Lord, they're becoming more and more corrupt, less and less and less righteousness, and more and more and more corruption. And God says in verse 3, God says, my spirit's not going to strive with them forever because they're flesh. You know what Paul said about our flesh, right? For my flesh is indeed weak. We're weak. And, it's beca- and the corruption is taking over and more and more and more corruption. And then God said this. He said, my spirit will not strive with them forever for their, fo- for their indeed flesh. And he said, their days shall be 120 years. Now, I was always raised on the idea, just like the angels thing. I was always raised on the idea that, that man could only live 120 years, that God had prophesied and man could only live 120 years. I don't believe that that's actually what it says. What it really seems to read is that there's 120 years until he's going to end it. There's 120 years from this time that God is writing that God's going to say, forget it. Now, everybody perk up. I did not say there's 120 years left between now and when the Lord returns. I don't know when the Lord's returning and you don't either. I don't know if, it's, I don't know if we have one year or 100 years or 1,000 years. I don't know and you don't either. I do know that I'm looking at the signs and the earth is becoming more corrupt. And here's what I want you to know about God. Are you ready for this? God is omniscient and he knew. Did you see that in the verse? God actually, not, he knew the corruption was growing so bad. Let me reword it. Let me go the other way. Do you think that God is, is, is he losing his patience? Is it like, okay, I got 120 years of patience left. Is he the parent counting to 120? Is that one, one and a half? If I get to five, I might go to 10, but you're in for it. Is that what God's doing is God saying, you're, you're wearing on me? Is God's patience wearing out? Is his mercy becoming less? Does God want to, is he just getting done with them? You know what, I'm not going to give him the chance anymore. Come on, we know better than this. What I'm saying to you is God is omniscient. God knows exactly how corrupt the world is. He comes, a little later, what did he say? We say in verse 5, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart. God knew the thoughts of their heart, and what are they? They're evil continually. 
The corruption is growing and it is growing and it is growing and God knows all about it. And not only does he know all about it, but he's looking at it and he knows, he knows just how long we have. That eventually it's going to come to an end. It's not God who's wearing out. Friends, it's us. We're becoming more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt and eventually there's not going to be, there's not going to be anything left. Look at this with me. Would you turn to this with me? One of my favorite verses in the scriptures. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. I'll quote it often, but I want to read around it and show you some things. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter 3 and 9. You'll want to go there and put your finger there. We'll stay there for a minute because we've got some things to say. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. This is one of my favorite verses right here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I love that verse. It's been thousands of years since Christ was on this earth, and he said he was coming back again, and I completely believe he's coming again. You believe that? He's coming again. But God's not slack. He's not avoiding his promise. What does the Bible clearly tell us? He is patient and long-suffering. Why is he patient and long-suffering? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes, he is. How was he before Noah? He was patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Just like Ezekiel says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he wants the wicked to turn from their ways. But the line that God had given, this line of Seth, they're becoming more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt, and God goes... It's going to get so bad, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to take them out. Was God happy about taking them out? Well, keep your finger in Peter. I'm not done. But look at Genesis. Was God happy to take them out? Well, let's look at how he actually says it in verse 6. Genesis 6 and 6. And the Lord was sorry. Are you getting his heart? He is sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created on the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. I read everybody. Everybody was so concerned at the fact. They're like, can God repent? All the commentators, can God, is God repenting? I mean, what, you know, they're making a big deal. over. Will you catch his heart? Do you understand what he just said? Instead of trying to go off on some theological tirade that means nothing, will you catch the fact that God was grieved that he was going to destroy them? He was not cheering. He wasn't throwing lightning bolts into there ready to get him. His heart hurt. The creation I've made has become so corrupt, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to get rid of him. 120 years from now, you know who's going to be left? A guy and his family. And God's going to have to get rid of it. Will you catch this? Go back to 2 Peter and catch this whole thing. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And verse 10 says this, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Just like in Noah's day, God was grieved, God was sorry of what was happening, but the corruption was growing and God was going to destroy them. The same is happening today. God is not slack. God is not, uh, he's not naive to what is happening. God's not changing. He's not okay with the sin that is happening. As sin continues to grow, eventually the day of the Lord is coming and everything is is going to melt with a fervent heat. 
Check this out. In case you think that I'm tying verses together that shouldn't be tied together, would you back up with me in 2 Peter to chapter 3 and verse 5? Read what, read what Peter was saying and check this out. See if these don't go together perfectly. Verse 5, for this they ready? For this they willfully forgot that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. Verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished. How did it perish? Being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some, can, as some count slackness, but is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Do you get it? In Noah's day, God says your days are numbered. The corruption's going to keep going, and your days are numbered. And then what's He saying to us even today? What did He say to Peter? They willfully forgot, and the same is happening today. By the same word that the earth is being held together today, eventually it's going to burn. Now what does that mean for you and I? If God knows the corruption is growing and God knows it's going to burn, what does that mean for you and I? 2 Peter chapter 3 and one more verse, well, a couple more verses, but one more forward in verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct? And godliness. Whew. Did you let that sink in? In Noah's day, they willfully forgot and everything flooded. Now in our same day, we have the exact same thing happening. Corruption is growing. And listen, the days are numbered. The day of the Lord is coming. It's all going to burn with the fervent heat. God's not slack. God doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. But check this out. What does that mean for you and me? Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? The, are you catching this? The fact that God has numbered our days... And that eventually this is all going to burn. The God who created it said, I'm going to burn it. Ought to change the way that you and I behave. The one who knows has given you a warning. Get it? The end of the world is, is coming. It's the end of the world. Is it today? I don't know when it is, but I know this. I can see the corruption. I know it's coming. I know it's going to burn with the fervent heat. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and go, wait a minute, that ain't right. Look at what's happening in our politics. Look at what's happening in our schools. Look at what's happening in our counties. Look at what's happening with us individually. Just inside the church, look what's happening with our churches. Our churches are becoming corrupt. Our churches are folding. It's not just the individual. I mean, the whole group of the churches sometimes. Well, I could name them. I'm not going to sit here and be a jerk and do it. But goodness, we're just folding and capitulating. And God is warning and saying, listen, I've not changed. It's going to burn. So what ought you to do with that? What manner of person ought you to be, knowing that it's all going to burn and God's already predicted that? What should that do for you? Check it out. I got one more. I got one more thing. It's in verse 9. We're back in Genesis now. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. Uh, verse 8, rather. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Did you see that the first thing we find is grace? In a moment, everybody, again, everybody got all focused on the fact that God said in Genesis 6 and 9 that Noah was perfect in his generation. Before you get to Noah was perfect in his generation, what happened first? Grace. In case you don't know, let me help. Grace is God's unmerited favor. 
Can you stick that in your head? Grace is God's unmerited favor. You know what I mean by unmerited, right? A Boy Scout gets a merit badge. He does something and they give him a badge for it. That's not salvation. That's not grace. God doesn't give you a badge. He doesn't say, well, good job, you came to church. Here's your badge. Here's your church badge. Oh, you gave money when you were in church? Here's your tithing badge. It's not a badge. It's unmerited. It's unwarranted. It's not from us to God and God repaying us. It's the other way. Without us doing anything, God first did it to us. He offered grace. He said, I will offer you grace. Noah accepted the grace that God offered. It started from God's end. I'll prove it to you. It started from God's end and Noah just accepted what God was giving. I'll show you that in the scriptures. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. I know you, some of you are not turning. You've got to go there. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. Yeah, you know who you are. Go there. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. Go. You're good. I didn't even call your name. I just looked at you right in the face. All right, Hebrews 11 and verse 7. I'm going to get it for that one. Oh, goodness. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. If she doesn't get me, Sarah will. Okay, so Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, check this out. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of these things not yet seen, whoa, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which was commanded the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Work that backwards. How did he become the heir of righteousness according to faith? Because God had divinely warned him and he listened to the warning. Did you catch that? Noah, being divinely warned of these things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared the ark by which he, was, by which he commanded the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. God warned Noah. Noah listened. Noah found grace. It started from God. God. Do you think Noah was the only person that God was warning? Oh, God was trying to... He had, there was Methuselah. There was, there was Enoch. Remember Enoch? We know that he was prophesying about the end coming. Remember, we taught, he's the guy who got translated. He was and he was not. He was with God. He walked with God and then he was not. What happened? God was telling everyone. It's just Noah was the one willing to listen. Do you get that? All of, this isn't God being mean to the earth. This is God making an offer and it got so corrupt that one guy was willing to accept what God was saying. Everything was so corrupt. We got to the point that it was Noah and his family that were willing to believe. And so Noah moved with godly fear. He built the ark. Out of faith, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's the same for you and me. We hear what God has said. Now the question is, what will you do with it? There really are only two choices when it comes to receiving what God is offering. A lot, of, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that if they just do nothing, that they're, they're not making a decision. But listen to me, nothing is still a decision. Did you hear that? Nothing is still a decision. If you say, I'm going to do nothing with it, that's a decision to not believe what God is saying. What will you do with the warning? It's all going to melt with the fervent heat. What are you going to do with that warning? That's what God is asking. He's given you the warning. He's told you. What are you going to do with it? Will you accept it by faith like what, like what Noah did? Or will you think that your silence somehow gets you, lets you escape it? Listen, God is offering you something great. Walking away won't change anything. There was a, 
young man. I can't think of the pastor's name. I wrote it down, but I, I don't. My eyes get funny when I'm up here, and I can't. I can't look at my notes like that. So I can't remember his name. If you know his name, you can tell me later. But he he tells a story of somebody that he was dealing with. This was back in at the end of World War One, and and uh, Barn something Barnside. Doesn't matter. Now I'm like an old man up here, like trying to remember. <laughs> you ever do that with like an old guy? He's like, remember, where's the remote? Anyways, okay, so this guy, this pastor, I don't remember what his name was, but this, this pastor back during World War I, somebody from uh, his town had went off to war and they came back. And they wanted a meeting with him and he sat down with him. And the young man that had come back from war, he said, I have glorious news. He said, I, while I was there, I got to talk with some of the chaplains and I've accepted Christ as my Savior. And the pastor was all, was, all accept, was all excited for him and, and prayed with him. And, and he said, well, why did you want to come and tell me? And the young man said, well, because I'm worried that now that I'm back from war, that I'm going to slip back into old ways. That now that I'm not on the battlefield, he said, I'm concerned. He said, I love Jesus and I, and I believe him as my Savior, but I'm very concerned that I'm going to go back into old ways. And the pastor said, oh, that won't be a problem if you'll just do what the Bible says. And he said, okay. He said, the Bible says you should confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth. And he said, if you'll confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth, if you'll let people know that you're saved, he said, you won't have to worry about it. They won't pull you back into old ways. They'll leave you. And so this is what he told him. He said, I want you to make a commitment with me right now. He said, if you really love the Lord, I want you to agree with me that the next 10 people that you meet, you will tell them that you got saved. And so the young man who come back from war agreed. He said, I'll tell the next 10 people that I meet that, I, that I've been saved. And so he walked out of the church office and on his way home he ran into an old friend. It was a female and she ran up and she hugged him and she said, we're so glad to see you. He said, I've got great news. And she said, are you engaged? And he said, no, I've met the Lord Jesus. And according to that young man's testimony, she mumbled a few words of congratulations that he was home and then she walked away. And then he saw an old buddy and his old buddy invited him over and it was a, you know, somebody that he had been sinning with in the past. And he said to his friend, he said, I found the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And according to his testimony, he said his, his old friend told him he was happy to see him, shook his hand and quickly left and didn't come back. And according to the young man's testimony, according to the pastor that I read that I can't remember his name, every one, all ten of the people that he told he had met the Lord Jesus, they walked out of his life. Listen, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? You got a decision to make. The Lord's making an offer. He'll save us. It's not God walking away from man. It's that Noah was the only one willing to accept it. It's not God walking away from men. It's men walking away from God. Are you willing to believe what he offers? Are you willing to believe that Jesus is the son of God who died for your sins and rose from the grave three days later? And if you'll put your faith in him, he who is alive today, standing before God as our mediator, that he will save you. That it's not your works, it's not your prayer, it's not your baptism, it's not something you did in church. It's all him and all I can do is trust in him. Will you put your faith in him and him alone? Because if you will, then even if it's the end of the world, we'll be just fine. Let's all stand up to our feet and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your word and thank you for an opportunity that we could be saved. Truly, Lord, we don't deserve your grace and hence it is grace. So we say to you, thank you for offering us grace when we don't deserve it. 
And Father, I just want to ask you plainly right now to take this invitation and do with it what you will. Lord, if there's a decision, a decision that needs to be made, we pray that it would be made right now. Father, I, cannot, I can't get a hold of anyone's hearts, but you can. Your word is a double-edged sword and it'll pierce and divide bone and marrow and soul and spirit. Father, would you pierce our hearts right now and draw us unto yourself. Whatever decisions that you want made, Father, we pray that they be made. In Jesus' name, amen.